Let's pray. Father, tonight we come in your house to meet with you, to hear your, your word and your truth. We pray, Father, that you would reveal yourself to us. You are our deepest longing. You are what we need most, is you, Jesus. Father, I pray tonight as declare, as I speak, that they wouldn't hear your word, my words, but they would hear yours. Father, we need to hear from you. Your truth is what we need. Open our eyes to see you fresh and anew. Maybe sometime, maybe for some of us for the very first time, we come to the realization that you are real, that you are alive, that you are in this place tonight. I pray this, and all God's people said, amen, amen. I would like to read from our passage of scripture in Mark 15. It says, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabbatani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with vinegar and put it on a staff and it offered it to Jesus to drink. Someone said, no, 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 leave him alone. Let's see if this Elijah comes and take him down. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last breath. The curtain of the temple was torn in that moment from top to bottom. And when a centurion who stood near in front of Jesus saw how he died that day, the scripture says, he said, and he declared aloud, surely this man was the son of God. Surely, this man was the son of God. I would like to take you back to my teenage years. I grew up in Texas, and I worked at a landscape company. I got to experience Texas heat. There's something about it. You can't explain it. It is smoking hot down there. And I remember you get very familiar with what the weather was like because we spent every single day outside. And you got very familiar for weather changes. So it would be like a clear, hot, normal Texas day, but in the middle of the afternoon, you might notice the breeze. You might notice that the clouds begin to form and you would you would notice maybe that breeze turns into a wind and all of a sudden on your radar there's a change happening soon 
those clouds turn dark. The sun disappears. The storm had arrived. Darkness had come. See, historically, both the Greco-Roman and Jewish traditions, they believed that darkness was associated with death. Death of great men. It was said that when Caesar died, the sun hid its face. The same could be said about Alexander the Great and others. See, darkness was synonymous, synonymous with death. Now in the scriptures, it says that darkness is often associated with the judgment, the judgment of God. I mean, when you think back to when the Israelites were held captive, where they were enslaved to the Egyptians. You had Moses and Pharaoh going at it. Let my people go. Pharaoh, no. God was demonstrating his power through the plagues time and time and time again. And on the ninth plague, it says that darkness rolled in. This darkness lasted for three days. In fact, the scriptures point out that it was so dark that they couldn't see one another. They had to stay put. This went on for three days. See, this darkness was a sign. It was a warning of the judgment of God. It was a warning of the judgment to come. See, because the next plague would be the death of every firstborn boy. Judgment was coming that day. In our scriptures, we, we, we read there that darkness covered the land. It was a warning of the judgment of God. God was about to pour out his wrath, but not this time on any animal. Not this time on any people group. Not this time of mankind. No, he's going to pour out his wrath on his one and only son. The full wrath of God being placed upon Jesus, his one and only son. All of God's anger all of God's punishment for all of man, sins of mankind, every act of disobedience, every murder, every piece of greed, every wicked and evil thing that all of mankind have done would be placed upon the Son of God. God's wrath would be poured out upon him. and He would be paying the price. He would be experiencing the agony, the terrible isolation. He would be experiencing the abandonment. It's rather unthinkable. Jesus would become that sacrificial lamb. He would sacrifice his body, as we've mentioned earlier, and what he went through. He would sacrifice that but he would also sacrifice his dearest relationship. See, for the very first time, Jesus would feel separation 
from this Father. From the existence of all things, the two of them had this closeness. They had this shared intimacy, this shared thoughts, this perfect relationship, this perfect union. In fact, Jesus in his own words, when describing his relationship with the Father, he says this, he says, the Father and I are one. But now, in this moment, it doesn't feel that way. And in this moment, it is in this moment that he he feels isolation. He feels all alone. And it's in this moment we hear Jesus. He cries out, my God, where are you? Where are you? We've been so close. I can imagine Jesus longing for his presence to be together. To feel your touch just one more time, Jesus would cry, can I just, where are you? I mean, had had God turned his back on his son, had he left him? See, this cry This cry, this shout of Jesus, let me tell you, this is significant. Did you know in Mark's gospel, this is the very first time Jesus speaks from the cross. In in Mark's gospel, Jesus had been quiet up until this point. In fact, the very last time Jesus spoke was before Pilate. Think about all the things Jesus had gone through, the insults and all that. And see, Mark's trying to draw us to the attention that this is important. In Mark's gospel, there is no call for forgiveness of others. There's there's no concern for his mother. There's no offer of salvation. There's no triumphal cry of achievement like it is finished. No, no, there's none of that in Mark's gospel. Silent on those matters. See, the climax of Mark's gospel is Jesus shouting, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It goes from silence to shouting, and it's rather sudden, and it's rather alarming. And I can imagine it must have been for those hearers that day. And I wonder what they must have thought. See, listen, on the surface level, it sure kind of sounds like defeat, doesn't it? If you heard that cry, is Jesus maybe questioning his father? Is Jesus doubting God in this moment? Is maybe Jesus even losing faith? Could that be possible? I mean, he... On one level, he'd been beaten and he'd been bruised and maybe he's just telling the truth how he feels. I mean, maybe the enemy's even winning in this moment. I mean, it looks like he's been surrounded. He's been pushed to the breaking point. It seems that maybe there's no way out for Jesus and this is what's going on. 
Maybe it appears, it appears that it's all over, that the enemy had won. This moment seems so very dark. This cry seems so very dark, doesn't it? But then we know it's Jesus. We know it's Jesus. But it's Jesus. Listen, because we know the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness cannot overcome it. See, Jesus is faithful to his mission. Jesus was not here to conquer Rome with military might or power, but to suffer and die as an atoning sacrifice. Jesus was forsaken to bear our sins, to become sin. He's the one, the sinless one, becomes sin for us. The perfect one, becoming our curse, becoming our payment, becoming our sacrifice. The wrath of God is being burnt out on Jesus. The wrath of God meant for us is being extinguished this very day. He's forsaken so that we would never have to pay. He would never have to pay. And I love this verse behind me. I love this quote that, that Jesus speaks of because listen, this isn't just some words he came up with today. In fact, this, this cry of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It comes from the very word of God. Psalms 22. Jesus is sticking to the word of God. He's given us insight on what's really happening in this moment. Because listen, as you read Psalms 22, we, we see what Jesus goes through. In Psalms 22, it speaks about the, the mockers throwing the insult. It speaks about him being stripped to nakedness, about his bones being ripped out of their joints and on full display for everyone to see. It even speaks of those who were gambling for his clothes that day. It goes on to speak about his hands and his feet that were pierced. Now listen, Psalms 22 is written hundreds of years, hundreds of years before this moment. Oh, can I tell you God is real? That Jesus is fulfilling those prophecies. It's unbelievable to me that maybe this evening you are questioning and you are doubting. You're not so sure about this religious thing we do. You're not so sure. Can I tell you it is real? Because in Psalms 22, you see Jesus. You read it. You cannot deny he's not there. Written hundreds of years before he would come. It's real, folks, and I pray that this Easter season, it becomes reality for us. It's real. It's not made up. It's not some fairy tale. No, no, no. It's real. It's real. I'm sorry maybe you've been burnt by the church. I'm sorry maybe we haven't lived it. We haven't lived up to it. 
I'm sorry, I have it. The reality of that he's real. Hmm. Psalms 22 points to the reality he's a real God. He's a real Savior. We're not just playing games. We're not just playing religion. He's real. And he hasn't been defeated. Goes on here in Psalms 22. Listen to this. This should be encouraging for us. Listen here what it says in this prophecy. Verse 27 says, At the end of the earth we will remember. That's what we're doing here. We're remembering what he did. And turn to the Lord. All the families of nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. One day you will kneel before him. One day. One day. Verse 31, it says, They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to the people yet unborn, He has done it. He's done it. See, in this moment, when Jesus says these words, he's not losing faith. He's not doubting God or questioning him. No, he's proclaiming his victory. Listen, the battle may have looked lost, but Jesus is winning the war. The battle may have, I'm going to say that again because it's so important that we get this, that the battle may have looked lost, but Jesus is winning the war. Darkness has not overcome it. It may have been a dark day, but that light continues to shine. It burns. He's not wavered. He's not lost control. This is his plan. This is his victory. He's victorious, and he's won it for you, and he's won it for me. And what I love, <laughs> the first person to experience this victory that day was the Roman centurion. He was there. He saw it firsthand. He declares it for us. Surely, you got questions about this God? Not him. He saw it and he declares, surely, this is the Son of God. Now, this is a military man here. And I love that he wasn't won over by might. He wasn't won over by intellect, power, or wealth. Uh-uh. He's won over by a suffering, humble, loving Savior. Hmm. And did you also notice that he's Roman? He's not Jewish. He's not a disciple. He's not part of the religious elite or a select group of people. He is a pagan Gentile. And what I love, the veil has been torn and he has now access to the Father. We now have access to God because of the sacrifice. This Roman centurion can become a believer 
because of the work of Jesus that day. Why was he forsaken? Why was he forsaken? You know, I was asking that question this week, and this is what the Lord gave me. You ready for this? Why was he forsaken? It's in his very own words. Look up on that screen behind me. Look up on the screen. You'll see it there. That final word. Get this, he's forsaken for me. He was thinking of me. He's thinking of me. Of all the people in this world, receive this this evening, of all the people in this world, of the billions of others, you'd be thinking of me. You'd be thinking of me. Of all the things I've said and all the things I've done, Jesus thinks of me. What he would go through, what he would suffer for me. For me. I don't deserve this. For me. For me. Let us go to this Lord in prayer here in this moment. Thank you, Father. You're thinking of us. You're thinking of me. Oh, Lord Jesus, who by your death upon the cross bore the sin of the world. You bore the pain of our lostness. Our judgment we deserved. And so this evening, we praise you for bearing what we could never bear. To win for us what we could never earn. We praise you for the gift, the gift of eternal life with you. Oh, how we adore you for giving us a gift so priceless. Giving me a gift so priceless. Lord Jesus, we pray and all God's people said, amen.